Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you. Uh, Thank you for leading us in worship again, team, this morning. We appreciate that. Uh, I hope that for you this morning that that final song can truly be your prayer, and we want that to be our prayer here in this place this morning, that we welcome the presence of God, and we want to be aware. Uh, You know, I used to always say the prayer like, God, be, be with us now or be here, and the truth is God is. And often it's just a very small difference between our being aware of his presence and his presence. He is present. It's we want to be open to his presence. And so we want to keep our eyes uh, open to the way God moves. So uh, I love that we ended with that prayer there. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra. We're going to continue our series this morning in the book of Ezra. Um, This is one of the books when feel free to use your table of contents to find it. It's okay. There's no shame in that. A few weeks ago, we gave you a, a bookmark when we started the series, and as we jokingly but also very honestly said it, so you only have to find the book once, and then you keep the bookmark in there, and you're good every Sunday morning. It's uh, kind of towards the beginning of the Bible, about a uh, third or, or so way in. Uh, we are going to be jumping into chapter 3 in just a moment, but one, one thing I love about this time of year is uh, I love October when, when sometimes there's cold air, a chill in the air. Um, Maybe not this weekend, but I I love that changing seasons and the feeling of fall. And for me, it brings back, you know, I I grew up moving all over the place as a kid. I was a a military kid, so I've lived all over the country. So when I get the cold air, it reminds me of different eras and times in life. And when, you know, when you have the football on TV, just the sounds of football in the colder air kind of reminds me of changing seasons. And of course, for me, baseball playoffs are, are one of my favorite times too. So this this is, this is like a really good time of year for me. This is kind of like the high holy days. So I love, uh, this is great for me. But one of the things, I, I think of changing seasons, it always brings out, and I don't know why, but it, it always brings out kind of either nostalgic moments and also just a, a, a wanting to look ahead and see what's next. And no matter what the changes are, positive or negative, it can bring different emotions and thoughts. Uh, I, I remember when we lived in Israel, my family moved there well, it's been nine years ago that we moved there and moved back after about a year. And when we were leaving, I had, I had all three of, our ki- three of our boys. They were with us the whole time. We kept them. And, and so, but when we were leaving, one of, our, one of our kids loved being there. He loved the adventure. He loved the excitement. We, loved, we lived in Jerusalem where it's just something's always happening. There's just always just this kind of flurry of activity and, and excitement, um, all kinds of types of excitement living there. But so one of our kids loved that. He loved the adventure. He loved the new places. One of our other kids hated all of that <laughs> for all the same reasons, but he, but he hated it. He didn't like it. And then one was a baby, and so he, had, he didn't care what we were doing um, as long as we would carry him around. And he's still like that. But um, so... <laughs> But I remember when we were leaving, it was on our last day, and we lived about a mile from the old city, and so we, uh, the old city of Jerusalem, and we, we kind of took our car that we had rented to get to the airport and take all of our stuff, and we went to this park that was at the end of our street, 
And the park overlooked the old city and you could see these walls that were built hundreds of years ago and, and this golden dome, just the kind of quintessential picture of Jerusalem. In fact, the park is where you see a lot of the pictures of Jerusalem taken from. So we went there just to kind of say goodbye and pray and just say thank you God for a great year. And I remember now when we were done there and we were leaving, the one of our kids who loved being there, he just started crying. He, he, was, he was sad. He's just like, oh, we're... I said, hey, guys, this will be the last time you see the city from this view. And he just starts bawling, I'm going to miss you, Jerusalem. And the other son, who was ready to go home, he looked at it and he said, see you later, Jerusalem. <laughs> and he's just rejoicing. And, and then we, we kind of went back in the car, and, and our other one who, who didn't want to leave, he's like, I'm going to miss this park. And the other son said, see you later, park. <laughs> And was just so happy. And every time he would pick something out that he was happy to say goodbye to, the other one would cry even louder. And, and so then as brothers, you know, then he's like, see a tree. And the other one was like, no, I miss that tree. <laughs> all the way until we got out of the city, the other one was just picking all these things. He goes, I don't ever have to see you again. See you later. And the other one was saying, I'm never going to see you again. And it just reminded me that sometimes when we get to these seasons and these times of change, there's different reactions to them. And none of the reactions are better than the other. They're not good or bad. They just represent, because in all of those, what they re- represent is a time of change. And, and so for our boys, they, had, they were looking forward to changes, and, and it meant different things. But as we get to this point in the story in the book of Ezra, we're going to see some different responses by the people when they get back to Jerusalem, and they relay the foundation of the temple, today we're going to see some mixed reactions. We're going to see some who are weeping and some who are rejoicing, but ultimately is as they paused and thought, it's because God was, something was changing. He was renewing the community of Israel, and a new chapter was beginning, and an old one was passed. And the old one had great value, and the new one would have great value. And as we look at this, and, and one of the reasons we're studying through the book of Ezra is because the whole point of this study is to see how God is renewing his community, how God is working to renew his people for his purposes. And we believe that as a church of us today here in America, in North San Diego, that God is in the process of renewing and transforming us as a community. We're not at some great crossroads. We haven't been living in exile. We haven't been going through some dark times. It's just we want to have the posture of people who want God to be moving in our midst and continually renewing us around his purposes for his plans. So that's the reason we're looking into the study. So today as we uh, finish up the second half of chapter 3, we're going to be looking at what does it look like when God is renewing his people. And we find through the imagery here, it's his presence is a thing that's renewing them and transforming them. So pray with me before we get in to this study today. God, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the joy of, of being together the joy of singing together, the joy of being reminded that we're not alone in this journey of faith. And God, I I thank you that you are present. And so I pray now that as I speak, Lord, your presence would be the thing that we're all aware of. And the fact that you renew us as people is a thing we're all aware of. And it's not about my words, it's about you and your words. So we thank you and we give you this time now. In your name, amen. 
So, Ezra, chapter 3, and just by way of some context to help you understand where we are, in case you've missed a couple weeks, is uh, we, we began in the, the history of Israel at this point, was they were living as a nation, and the quick bullet points are they were conquered by the Babylonians, the southern kingdom, and they were taken uh, in exile. And they were living now outside of the land of Jerusalem, uh, uh, of the land of Israel. Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple of God was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar, and all the articles on the inside of this temple were taken, and, and they were removed. And we have extra biblical evidence, so we have other archaeological evidence that confirms the story that this happened to the Israelites. Years later, uh, King Cyrus of Persia, the Persian Empire, took over and conquered the Babylonians. So when the Persian Empire took over the Babylonians, that means all, all of that land that once was under King Nebuchadnezzar was now under Persia and the Persian Empire. So the former land of Israel that was exiled, the people who were taken from there, were now in the Persian Empire. And King Cyrus, Scripture tells us in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, that God stirred the heart of the king and he issued a decree that the people would return, the, Ju- the Jewish people, the Israelites, were able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple. And they were given all the articles that were stolen to come back to worship their God. And again, we have extra biblical uh, evidence, in other words, archaeology outside that confirms that King Cyrus did indeed issue this decree. And that's one of those great moments in Scripture where we have, we have confirmation of the same thing that happened in history. So the Israelites now in the book of Ezra is telling the story of their return from exile. And as they returned to exile, they found their city in ruins and in partic- and re-inhabited by other people who were not followers of God, of their God, of Yahweh. And they were instructed to rebuild the temple. And, and we, so we saw in the first week how God used through his providence, through the way he worked, he was able to orchestrate events for his purposes. The next week what we saw was this kind of random gathering of what it looked like of God's people, the scattered people. And the cool thing about it was that God's people consisted of a bunch of different people with all kinds of gifts. They came from all kinds of different backgrounds and strengths and weaknesses, and that's a picture of the church today. That the church today is not supposed to, we're not all supposed to look the same, think the same, have the same gifts, have the same passions. That's not the way scripture has painted it. We're all unique people that God, and so we see in Ezra, there's this unique gathering of people that he brings back. And that's an important point to think. And even if we think of our lives today as the church, the big C church, all the gathering of Christians across the globe, we all have different gifts and passions that God uses. And God wants to renew us. He wants to use us as followers of Jesus as an example to the world. I love that picture. And let's not overlook, in a world, in our country alone right now, it seems like every presidential election year, we get more and more divided, do we not? When, when the sides seem to be more extreme, and, and we're more angry with anyone who believes differently than you, and, and, and so it, it sometimes makes us feel more divided. We look around our country, and there's racial tension that seems to be at an all-time high in some areas. This is an opportunity for the church of God with all of our diversity to to rise up and to show a different way. And that's the beauty, that's the picture 
The picture of heaven is every tribe and tongue united under Christ. So there's this unique, this is really cool thing that God shows us in Ezra 2 that the church of God, the people of God are different, but they're united with God at the center because they have what matters most. And then the next week, what we saw last week is the very first thing they did was they rebuilt their altar. And I love this in Ezra chapter 3. Verse 3, it says this, They set up an altar on its foundations, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the land. You see, because they were concerned about everything happening around them, because they looked at their, their land and said, wow, this is a scary place to be, the first thing they did is worshiped God. Let's not miss that. And so last week we talked about being renewed and, and having a lifestyle of worship and really as a community of God, when we look around and say, wow, it seems like maybe others are at odds with us. Our response shouldn't be a strategic uh, working to, how are we going to manipulate the situation? It should be, God, we need to fall on our knees and put you in the center of our community. So Ezra is showing us as they're being renewed with God at the center, it was all about... Put aside all of those other things and make sure the first thing is that God is the first thing in your life. So that takes us to where we are today. And today we're, we'll pick it up in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 8. Last week they rebuilt the altar. And now in verse 8 it says this, In the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Josadak, the rest of their brothers and priests and the Levites and all who came from captivity to Jerusalem began the work and appointed the Levites from 20 years older to oversee the work of the house of God. So the first picture we have is they're returning and they appointed all these Levites, which are, you, you think of it as like the pastoral positions. These are people who had a unique calling by God to lead the people in the, the community of faith, to lead them in there. And, and, and the Levites were one out of 12 tribes. So again, this is a great picture that we are all called to ministry. We are all called to participate with what God is doing. But most of us are not called to do that as a vocation. Most of you are called to be teachers and scientists and, and, and business owners and and yard workers and landscapers and builders and, and engineers and all of these different things. That's what you're called to. But some, a rare few, are called to lead the spiritual people. And this is a picture of that here. The Levites were called to oversee the building. But all the other people were participating. It's a picture of the church. Then Yeshua with his sons and brothers stood united with Kadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah and the sons of Henadad. Don't you love, I mean, if you're pregnant looking for name ideas, you've got great ones here. <laughs> with their sons and brothers and the Levites, they oversaw the workmen in the temple of God. Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising, and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. Again, a, a little bit of context to get to this point. Now, the first thing they did is built the altar, and then they started laying the foundation of the temple. Now, 
when you read this, I hope you ask questions as you read through Scripture. Questions that you say like, well, why does this even matter? Why, are they even, why is God instructing the people to do this? So a question we need to know is, what is the significance even of the temple? And, and we have a drawing for you. We've been using this drawing just so you can kind of see. Now, this is a drawing according to the descriptions in Scripture of how King Solomon built what we call the first temple. This is the temple that was destroyed and now was laying in ruins, and they were rebuilding this. Now, a temple in the ancient world, it's important to understand, the temple in the ancient world represented the place where God dwelled. It didn't mean that God was only there. But in the ancient cultures, they wanted to have a house for their God. And it had very much to do with how the other people would see them, how the other nations would see them. Why would you conquer a a land and destroy a temple? You wanted to destroy their temple because it was saying their God is no longer in power. Their God is gone. Now we know, and the Israelites knew, that God's presence was not confined to a building built with stones. They didn't believe that. But they did believe that there was something about building a house for God that represented his presence, and it called the people back to being reminded that our God is the God we serve and that he is alive and well. So for them in the ancient world, the temple was an important symbol of God's presence in their midst. So the first thing they did last week was to refocus their hearts and say, nothing else matters but the worship of our God. And then the next step was, we want to focus and be a community that remembers the presence of God. We want to be reminded that he, is, he has not left, that he is still here. In a moment, we'll look at what this means for us today because we no longer have a need for buildings and a temple. And culturally, it's different. Culturally, we no longer need this to demonstrate the presence of God. But in the ancient world, it was significant. So God was renewing their community and they began doing the work of rebuilding the house of the Lord. We see that in verses 8 through 11. Now, let's continue on and see what do we learn about this. Uh, Notice here, let's go back to verse 11. So they sang, they, they built the temple, they laid the foundation, by the way. They didn't finish the temple. This is just the foundation is laid. So probably one row of stones or a couple rows of stones that are going to serve as the foundation of the temple had been laid on the ground. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you'll see that the temple that was built by King Herod in the time of Jesus, right before Jesus, the, te- the stones, the foundation of that temple, or at least the temple mount, he rebuilt the land around it. Some of those stones are told, um, are estimated to weigh over 250,000 pounds. This probably is not quite that grand, but they, they lay the foundation. And look in verse 11. Or verse 10 and 11. The priests stood with their apparel, the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David in Israel. They sang and praising, giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, his loving kindness is forever. Now, according to the directions of King David, if you look through Scripture, there really aren't any directions or instructions, per se, that say this is how, what to do when you rebuild the temple. But there are a couple of verses that tell us, they show us a similar example. In, uh, there's two. There's in, in 1 Chronicles 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we see a picture of, in, in the first one was King David, who was the second king of Israel. 
There was no temple in the time of David, but they had what's called the Ark. And the Ark, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's the Ark. It's, they found it. And uh, so that one is the Ark that at that time, again, represented the presence of God with them. There was no permanent dwelling place. So when David brought the Ark into Jerusalem, they celebrated. They made sacrifices to God in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And we see in verse 5 and 6, in fact, I have this up here for you. Here's, the, oh, I'm sorry, in verse 5 and 6 of 1 Chronicles 16, they came in and we're told that Asaph, who now in Ezra is the sons of Asaph, he was playing music with the cymbals. And the priests stood and they blew the trumpets. So Asaph was the first worship leader of Israel. And every time we hear him and his sons described, they're banging the cymbals. It's, they are beating the drums. And people would say, the music's way too loud. And they'd say, you keep repeating the same lines over and over again. And he'd say, take it up with God. Come on. I mean, <laughs> yes. Okay, I'll, I'll move on before we get in any more trouble. So um, they would play the drums and the trumpets blew the horns and it was their worship of God. But look here in verse 34. Now I have this for you. In First Chronicles 16, 34, it says this. David retold the story of Israel And he ended by saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. In Psalm 136, we hear that repeated over and over again. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. Now, if you fast forward to 2 Chronicles, David's son was called Solomon, King Solomon. Solomon built that temple I just showed you. And when they built the temple and dedicated it, it says that Asaph was playing the cymbals with his band. The trumpets were blowing the horns, or the priests were blowing the trumpets. And they sang, he is good and his loving kindness is forever. You see, when we want to be people who are renewed with God at the center of our community, we read that again in Ezra. They lay the foundation and they play the music and they sing, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is upon Israel. You see, it's important when you're laying the foundation of being renewed to start with a a reminder that God is good. You want to remember his faithfulness. For us today as a church, we want to remember how God has been good to us, not just individually, but collectively as a community. That's why we take time to remember, to celebrate, to tell stories. Because we want to remember that God is moving. That he is good. Week after week, we hear stories of lives that are being transformed. One of the things we say that we care about here is we want to help people experience life in Christ. I want to tell you that I wish we had time to always share the stories week after week and we want to do a better job with it, but there are people week after week who are discovering life in Christ or rediscovering where lives are being transformed. Just this last week, I had a conversation with someone who dropped in, not a part of our congregation, but came in and said, I'm at my end of my rope. I've lost all hope. I don't know if God is even there anymore. Is he even present? And I was able to practice my sermon on her and uh, talk about God's presence. No. What was cool is through a time of just looking at Scripture and being reminded and in praying, She left there with tears in her eyes and said, that's what I needed. I just needed to remember. I just needed to remember. And so 
to be renewed as a community of God, we want to focus and we want to remember his faithfulness. We want to remember how he's brought us, how he's brought you to where you are. It's so easy to focus on the negative, isn't it? So easy to look around and see all the things that aren't going well. But God calls us to remember his faithfulness, and that's modeled in Scripture. What has God done? The next thing is this. Then they sing, his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. I I want you to, we're going to, for a moment, understand this a little more, because this word loving kindness is a Hebrew word called chesed. If you want it, it's a great word to say. Just say it with me. Chesed. Come on, get that little. Oh, doesn't that sound great? That guttural? I love it. (laughs) Such a beautiful language. So, now chesed is the closest Hebrew word we have to grace. There isn't a direct word for grace. We often, through scripture, translate it as loving kindness. But this is a picture of a loving kindness that comes from God that is based on his goodness. And it's a word that's used, and when it's used, it's often in the context of being reminded that God has made a covenant with his people. It's a reminder that he has called his people and made them his own. So when you say his loving kindness is upon Israel, it's a reminder that, wow, God, truly you have called us to be your own. And so when they lay the foundation, they're reminded that, yes, you have made a deal with us. And the cool thing about the deal God made was all about his work. It wasn't about the work of Israel. It wasn't about their faithfulness. They were in exile because king after king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. But God remembered his loving kindness, his covenant. This is also a picture. It's pointing us towards our lives today and it points us to Jesus Christ because of his loving kindness, because of his chesed, his goodness, Given to us, he calls us his own. We're bought with a price. We are part of his covenant with us because of what Jesus Christ did. Not because of what we can do or have done or will do. It's because of his goodness. So to be renewed with a community as God at the center, when you relay that foundation, what you do is you remember what God has done and then you also recall that he is good, that it's about his covenant with his people. His grace. And they sing it out again and again. And again, in Psalm 136, if you read it, every line says one thing about what God has done, and then they're reminded, His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness, God's grace given to His people will not end. We must remember that as a community of faith, that God's grace given to us will not end. So let's continue on. So they remember this. And then it says, uh, they rejoice in verse 12. Yet many of the priests and Levites, the heads of the father's households, the old men who had seen the first temple wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes. While many shouted for joy so that the people could not distinguish the, sh- the sound of a shout of joy and the sound of weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. So this is literally what my, ho- my car sounded like leaving Jerusalem. <laughs> Shouting and weeping. <laughs> and the passers-by is looking at our, our house saying, what is going on in that car? <laughs> it's interesting, though, when the people who saw the former temple wept. Now, 
Just a side note for those of you who like to go a little deeper in Scripture, the question that I have, of course, and hopefully many of you notice, is why are they weeping? There's a few, there's no answer given in Scripture. There's a few ideas. One is that they're remembering the glory of the old temple. They remember how, spl- how much splendor it was built with and they're looking at it like, we're never going to match that again. Some would say they remembered that Israel was much more prosperous at the time and God's hand seemed to be more favorable on Israel at the time and they were weeping that it's different. Some would say that they were, had sadness over lost time. Sadness over the depth of their sin that God had to take them from their land and exile them just to get their attention. Some might say that it was a sort of weeping out of sadness, but also a joy of repentance. Perhaps the older generation who remembered what Israel had and what they lost understood the greater depth of their fallenness. And as is often the case, the greater we understand our sin, the greater we can respond to God's grace. When you see how good he is. And the young ones shouted. They rejoiced. They rejoiced because they said, look, God's presence is in our midst. See, the younger generations were born in exile. They heard stories of God in his presence. They heard stories of his leading them through the desert and out of Egypt. They heard stories of the nation of Israel, but they never saw it for themselves. And now here, the foundation's being laid and they're rejoicing and shouting because they said, truly this God we've been hearing about is real. And he's powerful. And each response in the story is a good response. Because the nation of Israel was at a crossroads. And God was moving and he was renewing his people and so the response was natural. But I want you to notice one more thing here. Look at the very end, the very end of verse 13. And the sound was heard far away. You see, when the people of God unite around the presence of God, it's noticed. It's heard. It's seen. The community surrounding the temple that was re-inhabited by people who did not believe in Yahweh, and we're going to see it in the upcoming chapters, they felt the presence of God's people returning. The people of God today, the followers of Jesus, united around God with Him at the center, not us, not our individual churches, not any speaker, not any type of music, none of those things. But when we're united around Jesus Christ, the world will take note. They'll notice. They'll notice. Because when there's a community of God that responds to His grace, it goes noticed. Because it changes how we live. So the question for us is then, so what? What does this mean for us today? We're not going to build a temple. Yes, we've recently remodeled a coffee shop in here and it will be done in a week. It's the closest thing we have. (laughs) Some of you do believe God's presence shows up when you had your first cup of coffee. I get it. (laughs) But we're not rebuilding a temple. So what does Scripture tell us about a temple now? I have a couple verses for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. I have it on the, on the screen for you. Paul's writing to followers of Jesus. He says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, 
whom you have from God, so that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. See, Paul tells us that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The place where God's presence dwells is in his followers. Scary thought. (laughs) And I've always thought that, God, that just seems like a really bad idea. It's like the worst plan I've ever heard. Seriously? Us? (laughs) You want to dwell with me? But he does. And notice this. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. See, Jesus Christ paid the price for his temple. He laid the foundation when he lived and showed us an example of how to live the ways of, of God. When he died on the cross for the sins of all the world. And when he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all, he paid the price. He bought us. He gave us his hesed, his loving kindness was given to us. And the temple of God is here right now. It's with you when you go to work tomorrow morning. Yes, even at work, the presence of God is with you. Among you. Another verse, Ephesians chapter 2. I also have this up here for you. Verses 20 through 21 says this. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 19. It says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are of God's household. Do you get that? You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. When I read stories of of who we, and I'm not talking about saints like people that we decide are saints, but the the saints of God, the people who God has called out to be his own. I read stories of people in scripture and I say, wow, those those are cool people. And what I love is they do a lot of dumb things, but God still uses them and I love that. And he says, those are your people. Your fellow citizens with the saints, with Peter, with Paul. You're one of them. (laughs) And you are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are being built together in the dwelling of God of the Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ is the foundation. He is the cornerstone of the new temple that he's building. Jesus Christ and his life is a foundation of the temple that we see right here in our midst today. And you and I are the stones of the temple. Some of us are chopped up, ratty looking stones. (laughs) We usually are on the bottom, kind of hidden from sight. (laughs) But God's using us. He's using you to build the dwelling place of his temple. You see, what's our dream for Seacoast? We want people to experience life that comes from Jesus Christ. We believe they experience that life when they experience the presence of God. When they encounter the presence of God, it's not, it's not my goodness that's going to change someone's life. It's God. It's Jesus Christ in me, in you. Our dream is that as people are transformed because they encountered Jesus, they've encountered Jesus because they've encountered his people. And his people are the temple. You see, in the ancient world, they needed a temple 
a building to tell the world around them, hey, yeah, God dwells here. He's still with us. And the new picture is he uses his people to tell the world God's dwelling with us. And he is at the center of this community. See, our dream for Seacoast is that we are a temple of God with his presence at the center of who we are. The most important thing. And we believe as we live his ways, with his presence, our community will change. As it says in verse 12 of Ezra, the sound was heard all around. The sound of God's presence is felt and heard all around. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way up. And this morning, we are going to, going to take a moment to respond as what we call communion. And for us, is, communion is a reminder that Jesus paid the price. It's a reminder of his chesed, of his loving kindness that was given to us. It's a reminder that it was a price paid by him. We didn't pay the price. We receive it. And so there's bread on the tables, and the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken. And there's juice on the tables, and that represents the blood of Christ that was shed in a covenant for you and for me to build up this temple, this presence of God for his name's sake, not ours. So we're going to take a, a, we're going to sing a couple songs and during these songs we're going to invite you to make your way to one of the tables and take communion. And I'm going to challenge you with something here this morning. <laughs> is the book of Ezra is not written to an individual. In fact, most of scripture isn't written to an individual. We as Americans like to make it that way. It's written to communities of faith. It's written to a group of people who believe and unite on, around God and his presence, around Jesus Christ. So as we take communion, the word itself reminds us that we're communing with God, but we want to commune with one another. And so we don't often do this, but we're going to ask you to make this a communal event today. Because we want to remember as a community, as a family of faith, that God is in our midst. So I'm going to ask you to do something and it's going to be super uncomfortable. So <laughs> I want you to make your way to the tables and take the bread and I want you to turn around to the person behind you and give it to them. You don't have to put it in their mouth. Just put it in their hand. <laughs> and just say the, the body of Christ given to you. And give them the cup and say the blood of Christ shed for you. If you can't remember those words, just something close. <laughs> and then you take communion, and I want you to take the elements and turn around to the person behind you and do it. And I know it's super uncomfortable, and I actually hate that idea, <laughs> but I think it's a good idea. <laughs> My wife and I were part of a church of a couple thousand people, and they said we're going to do that in the service, and I just thought, oh, dang it, I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll be last, and I don't have to give it to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just gave you a strategy, didn't I? <laughs> but the point is this. We want it as a community to put God at the center, and it really isn't about your being feeling awkward right now. And if you're new to the family of faith and you say, that is so weird, I can't do it, that's okay, just sit where you are, that's okay. But I want to invite you to go ahead and, and as we sing, to take an element and turn to the person behind you. And let me ask, if you're uh, one of the ministry leaders in the church, why don't you lead the way and be one of the first people to one of the four tables?
so that you can serve someone behind you. And we'll make sure you get served at some point too. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. And we thank you that you bought us with your blood for a price. And uh, so God, we just ask that in this place now that you'd move, you'd remind us of your goodness, of your loving kindness, and help us celebrate who you are. And move in this place. Let us experience your presence now.